If you want your project to look and sound better, bring it to the team that cares about your project. AlphaDogs.tv. Well, this is kind of a, a special announcement for us. Um, we just got the news that Gary has passed away. So for those of you who heard Gary going into our show and didn't know exactly who he was, um, way back in my childhood, I remember listening to Gary when yep. I watched Rowan and Martin's Laughing. You know, beautiful downtown Burbank. <laughs> Which was at the time ironic and now actually somewhat true. Yeah, actually it is. It's kind of funny. Um, so it's it, it's kind of hard. Uh, when we when Philip and I started the Terrence and Philip show, we were trying to figure out, well, you know, what do we do for an open? Do we just have nothing or do we make a standard canned open? And um, fortunately, my wife's friend is uh, Gary's son. And we just kind of, I don't know how we stumbled upon it. We thought, oh, this would be great. Yeah. And so there you go. And, and Gary was uh, a wonderful person to just, you know, of course I'll do that for you, no problem, da-da-da. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was reading some of the, the um, recollections of what people were writing, and it seemed like he was a very easy person to work with. Yeah. Which a, not everybody in this industry is. <laughs> yeah, everything I've heard, you know, over the last little days has all been about, oh, yeah, Gary was, I loved Gary. Gary was, you know, making, yeah. it's not the usual where you hear the... You, know. you start to hear the dirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't seem to be any here. That, that laugh-in show made such an impression that when we started the digital production buzz originally, which now Larry Jordan's show... Uh, we did a cold open, which was very, very much a homage to the cold open that Gary did for Laugh-In. So we were we were coming from the, the crystal ballroom at the top of the council. Or the <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And that's where ultimately the um, the Ralph's Maytag Museum came out of that same insanity, which is what ultimately stuck. Ah, OK. But it was really rotating each week and trying to find some... The dusty corridor at the back of the library, because <laughs> I remember when I, you know, we were quite young at the time that Laughing got to Australia. Oh, okay. yeah. So uh, I was going to say because you know it, so yeah, it had to be. Had to get it was very late at night too. I'm not sure that I was really supposed to be allowed up that late. Well, but it was I remember Goldie Hunt in the bikini. One step removed again from uh, from greatness, but uh, it it's nice that we have a recollection of Gary that is ongoing that we can continue to. To use to honor the memory. Yes, I agree. Rest in peace, Gary. When we last left our heroes, they were locked into a terribly important discussion. Let's drop in on them again as they plot the future. Now, from the Top Dog's Kennel in beautiful downtown Burbank, it's the Terrence and Philip Show. Thank you, Gary, once again. And I'm Terrence Curran. I'm Philip Hodgetts, and welcome to another Terrence and Philip Show. And we're going to do a quick recap of 2014, sort of our year in review. I had to look up what happened in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really a stellar year, wasn't it? Very memorable. Well, there's been a lot of important developments in the year, but you tend to not keep remembering them because, you know, Resolve got editorial features back at NAB. NAB was a year ancient ago. history now. Yeah, yeah. We're planning for NAB 2015. So that which we see at NAB 2014 is tending to just blur into the background in my mind. That makes sense. Well, it's, you know, and, and it, NAB tends to go in those, you know, cycles where one year it's interesting and, you know, all new things. And the next year it's sort of, well, here's how to work with that stuff. Last year was sort of a here's how to work with that stuff, I think. Um, I don't know what this year is going to be. 
well, another new camera from from Blackmagic, another yeah, stellar yeah. upgrade to uh, Resolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, pay, maybe another purchase to go with. Uh, didn't they announce Fusion purchase at? Oh yes, at that's ABC? right. Fusion, so, yeah. So, so they'll have that. Yeah. So I'm not sure what else they need in their suite to round it out, but we know we have a compositing app. We've got a. Mm-hmm. A color and editorial app, not strong in media management at this point, I would have to say. But right. that's really the only serious deficit in it. The, mm-hmm. Not as deep editorial tools as some other platforms, but perfectly, perfectly adequate at the price point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a lot to be said for free. There's a lot to be said for free. Definitely a strong color corrector, of course. The, yes. you know the other parts are well in development. Yeah, <laughs> good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, there's new releases in Final Cut. We just had another new release in Final Cut recently too. So yep, basically adding support for what uh, MXF natively. Okay, yeah, the Hamburg well Hamburg Media MXF tools disappeared just before IBC or well, in the first days of IBC, and we were all wondering where they might turn up. I had a fairly strong suspicion when I got a strong no comment from from my contacts at, at that company. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. So did Apple buy them or just license it? Uh, I think I think they bought the rights to the to the MXF tools. I don't think they bought the company. So that's why the tools were taken from the from sale. If they'd only licensed them then I, the company could have probably continued on selling the same tools. Okay. Well, that's an interesting thing. Yeah. So there was that. And that's, uh, what is interesting is they're actually QuickTime components that are somehow magically working within an AV Foundation world and Core Media world, which is a little surprising to us, thus of the, those of us that care about that sort of thing, but not of any great concern to anybody else because it works. <laughs> and new cameras all around. Again, you know, Blackmagic have got the camera to, to distribution almost. So that's what they right. need. They need a distribution arm. That's what's missing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, and AJ has their camera. AJ has a new camera, yes. I, uh, it's kind of weird when everybody's in the camera market. and I, Yeah. It's a strange, strange universe now. Because it's not like cameras are huge profit centers. Right. I don't um, understand the, the all thinking. Of the, all of these cameras are coming out at price points that make them very competitive. Mm-hmm. So why get into a market where the, the push is actually towards more for less? Yeah. Well, and that, of course, driven by Black Magic because they're the kings of that. They are, and they seem to be still doing well at it too. So mm-hmm. whatever they're doing seems to be working for them, but probably not transferable to anyone else. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, they drive the other companies down, and then the other companies don't. You can't make the profit in there. So I don't. But again, I don't know why AJ even entered that market. That just makes no sense to me. No, well, it wasn't planning for a long time. Apparently, these things take a lot longer to develop and get to market than even the most pessimistic of us plan when we're planning for it. Let's see what other exciting things happened last year. Um, the Avid Consumer Association. Oh yes, yeah, Customer Avid, Association. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Avid Customer Association, which I just noticed has reduced membership costs to free. Yeah. <laughs> yes. For those of you who paid, it is now free. They're still charging to go to the party, the event at uh, NAB. So, well, that seems reasonable. Yeah, I mean, that's a you know, if it's anything like last year, that was quite an elaborate uh, party. That said, I haven't seen anything come out of the Avid Customer Association. In I haven't seen anything positive coming out that is adding to the Avid product line or feature set or anything like that. 
you know, it was kind of sold as, or still being sold, I guess, as a um, a way for the consumers, us, to sort of select where to spend a certain amount of the research and development dollars. So we would actually prioritize which feature sets, et cetera, that we want done. But that's not really happening. So they did add resolution independence. Yes, but that's not. That's a. I'm talking about. Yeah, you know the yeah. the the consumer uh, um, the avid customer association is supposed to be providing. Here's our list of you know where we want to yeah. put resources right now. Uh, 4K was done by that was decided by avid several years earlier, and it's not actually resolution independence. You can do 4K and and ultra HD, but it's not resolution independence. And I noticed that on their website, they actually are calling it resolution independence, but that flies in the face of how we in post define resolution independence. I think of that as like After Effects. You can create any size, anything, any which way. You can take any source, no matter what it is, and work with it in its native resolution. That's resolution independence. Not saying, hey, you can now do 4K in here makes us resolution independent. No, because um, other apps have gone 4K, 5K, 6K. Mm -hmm. We've seen both being used quite successfully in Final Cut Pro 10 and in in in, um, Premiere Pro. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that Avid would be coming up against now with 4K, yes, but it's not really resolution it's independence because if it was right. real resolution independence, it would automatically handle 5 and 6K and beyond. A- anything. It doesn't matter, yeah. I yeah. mean, true resolution independence, like the original you know, Final Cut 7, you could go in and say, well, you know what? I want to set up a timeline that's 720 by 1648 for whatever reason you'd want to do yeah. that. I don't know. But that's resolution independence. In other words, you can just build whatever it is you want to work with, just like After Effects. You make it whatever size you want. That's, Unless you, you know, wanted to go over 4,000 pixels. Well, yes, they had, a, they, had a, they had a top-end limit. But that my point is – a very old underlying QuickTime limit. <laughs> yes. But it's but within you know the concept of you can just do whatever you want, that's true resolution and independence. Yeah, of course, yes. And, and that's not you – know, Avid still has the – here's your fixed project. You're going to work at this resolution. They added more, but it's not – resolution independent. So I think it's a little disingenuous that they're marketing it as resolution independent when it's not. And of course, Avid came back to the stock exchange. Yes, that's true. Of course, that was this year, but I guess we could well, we could say our year in review is more like towards yeah. NAB because <laughs> NAB is sort of the demarcation point. Well, it's point. been a while since we did a show. Well, so that too, yeah. We're catching up. So. But, uh, but NAB is more of a demarcation point than January yeah, 1st. It I is, much more so. I, I consider my years at NAB to NAB. Yeah, same here. So, so, yeah, you're right. They're back on the uh, on the, on the the market and, uh, you know, the stock went up a little bit, which is good if you have Old the stock. stock, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was really good if you bought stock at $6. Not saying that I did that. <clears throat> but, um, but it could be good if that was the case. Yeah, yeah. could be good. Let's see. What else is uh, exciting? Well, of course, it was um, Adobe's coming out party in Hollywood with the Fincher Gone Girl movie. Oh, yes. There you go. That's a good point. Yeah, so that, was a big, uh, that was a big win for them, big feather in the cap. Very big feather in the cap, and we now have a release date for Focus, which is the first studio feature film cut in Final Cut Pro Ten. Being cut at the same time as Gone Girl, as it turns out, but just the different way the studios handled um, yeah, when they release win- release windows and everything. So that's, I believe, February twenty seventh, and I'm I suspect, given that um, Final Cut Pro Ten was was used in that, that there might be a little bit of publicity. I know that the first assistant. I would uh, guess there'll be more than a little bit of publicity. Who knows? Who knows what what people plan? <laughs> well, let's see. <laughs> of course, they, are they got a, another Walter Murch book uh, in the works? I, I know that the first assistant on that project, on that film is actually building, uh, working on a book 
for people working that sort of um, feature film workflows with Final Cut Pro 10. Okay. So um, I believe the ebook version of it, the iBooks version, is going to be out with the movie. Yeah, I think this is a case where the studio is controlling the the absence of publicity. That the studio doesn't want, didn't want any publicity associated with what the is, movie. What is it about? What's Focus about? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know it stars Will Smith, and uh, somebody. Um, no, that was Gone Girl, somebody disappearing. <laughs> but, of course, I, I had no idea what Gone Girl was about the entire time we were associated with just getting a, a change list tool working for, for that project. Okay. Which was a career highlight for, for us because Intelligent Assistance got a, a special thanks at the very, very end of the credit on that particular movie. Oh, really? So, Which we weren't aware of until we went to the Adobe Preview Day and we're told it's like, wow. That is cool. That and five bucks to get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny when you, we live in, in our little worlds and mm-hmm. we, you know, these things mean something. Right. But you talk to your relatives who, who don't live in the same sort of world. Right. And not only have they not heard of the movie, they don't really care whether or not you're a screen credit on it. And... When you mentioned that there was a bonus chapter in, in Creativity Inc. about um, Steve Jobs, they say, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. So, you know, we live in, in different worlds mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of other people and we should, you know, remind ourselves occasionally that, you know, our family probably lives in a very different world. That's why the 4K thing is such a joke because, you know, we understand what it is and the limitations and all that. But, you know, if I talk to my family, they're like, what does that mean? 4K, yeah. what do you think? You know, yeah. they don't yeah. care. It's totally unimportant. I guess the 2014 was the year that 4K became a thing, something you have uh, to actually deal with. Whether, whether yeah. you know, whether, it, you, whether it, we argue for or against as we did in the last show, it, yeah. it's really, it is, a, it is a thing. It does have to be dealt with one way or the other, whether that be resolution independence in Media Composer or uh, something else in the pipeline, more storage, better codecs. Still, it's not going to go away like 3D did. I, there are still some benefits to 4K that in production. I, 4K, oh, in the home, production. 4K in the home, I don't Actually, think was ever as a... No, I, it, within two years, you won't hear about 4K anymore in production because it'll be 8K by then. Yeah, right, just 4K so will be then, done. Yeah, exactly. So, but that's the production side. That's got yeah. nothing to do with what ends up being seen by the viewer, and that's more of our bailiwick. You know, yeah. I'm not going to work at 4K if I'm delivering a 1080. Why? Well, you get the benefit of oversampling at the source, so you're going to deliver better 1080 from starting with the 4K master. All else being equal, yeah, all well, else is never equal. The all else, <laughs> yes. the all else being equal is the catch there. Yes, yeah. I don't, oh, I'm, I'm looking this up. Focus is uh, a romantic comedy starring Will Smith. Okay. Now the irony there is that um, Ben Affleck, who went on to star in Gone Girl, was originally associated with Focus and going to star in Focus. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one way or another, it was not going to be an avid project. No, no. I don't know what he's got. Against Avid, but but apparently something. So let's see what other exciting things have happened this year. Um, somebody landed, uh, crashed a drone on the front lawn of the White House. Yeah. What would I? What was I saying two years ago about drones? Just a matter of time. Yeah. yeah. And that one apparently was innocent, but you know, if, if those other, if the insidious characters that would love to bomb the White House haven't figured it out, that probably triggered their uh, idea brain. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, a primitive and, brain. And really, 2014 was the year that the drone, the aerial platform, yes. really, really took off. Yeah, it's, so it's crazy. Pun now. not intended. Right, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. it was interesting. I'm reading articles with you know now the the uh, you know like the um, 
Secret Service and whatnot, and they're going, well, you, you know, it's kind of too late now. You can't put the cat back in the bag. No, no. You know? But I remember seeing it. Like, it, was, yeah, it was two or three years ago at NAB when they – the first time they had some of those drones, and I'm like, this is going to be a problem. Yeah, I saw the expo- – I had some exposure to this back in 2012 with the aborted Solar Odyssey That's project. Right. And it was so obvious that, A, this was going to become a great aerial platform. You could just do so much. Right. And B, the software was going to get so much better. Yeah. So a lot of the skills that I was busy trying to learn are gone. Uh, we're yeah. going to be, become redundant within a yeah. year or two, and the software was simply going to take it over. That yeah. is not to say that there aren't skills required for right. flying a, a, one of these drones and flying them, particularly for ver- for aerial photography. Yeah, for, but, for filming. Yeah, you definitely want to. It's not as easy as just go. No. But if you just want to fly one, just, oh, just fly yeah, around, like a, it's, it's simple. Yeah, like I've got a, a Parrot 2, you know. Mm-hmm. And it just flies off the iPad or the phone and you yeah, tilt exactly. the phone and, yeah. you know, slide a bit on the screen. It goes up, it comes down, yeah. take off, it just takes off and sits there. It's like, all of these things that were – take off now, I've got to adjust 14 things at once to keep right. it from, from going the wrong direction and flying up. And in the old days, I have to then compensate when the, the aircraft turned that forward is now sideways – Oh, right. Because we're facing a different direction. Well, n- now the software just – you set one setting and now the software just always goes wherever, that, wherever yes. the direction is, the tilt of the of the iPhone mm-hmm. and the orientation of the of the aircraft is completely independent. So you can put it to the side and then move it forward so you track beside something. So it's – yeah, it's completely software-controlled world but still skills still required just like editing. <laughs> Software controlled, but experience still matters. How's that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so drones was a big thing. Uh, HDR made its uh, premiere this last year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Dolby, obviously, is has got their Dolby Vision, which I was blown away when I saw. And what's happened since then was within the last several months, I've been seeing a lot of other companies are coming up with their own versions of HDR, which means now we're going to have standards hell. Uh, again. Yes. Instead of just going, all right, here's one. Let's just stick with this concept. So I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I can tell you that for a consumer walking into a store and looking at television side by side, HDR is going to sell TVs. 4K is not. I haven't yet seen the the Dolby screen. When you do, you'll you'll go, oh yeah, you're right. This is going to sell TVs. Because <laughs> it's just, um, it pops is the best way I can describe it. It makes the image actually pop. Oh, okay. Because you have so much more dynamic range. Your, your uh, white point, you know, the purest white yeah. point on there is so much brighter, you know, increasing that dynamic range, which also increases the amount of chroma that you can display. It's really an impressive picture. If you want to smooth out your workflow, translate between Final Cut Pro 10 and Premiere Pro or, or even legacy Final Cut Pro, or want to synchronize multiple sources at once based on time code, or do the sort of reporting that everybody has to do, then head over to assistedediting.com or intelligentassistance.com. Overall, the year was sort of advancements on stuff that already existed, so I guess yeah, it's not, it yeah. doesn't, there was nothing really dynamic well, for we me. Did, I think Greg told me we did 70 software releases. Seventy, yeah, oh, because of updates. And yeah, stuff? We, we didn't actually we didn't actually get a new app out of Intelligent Assistance this year. The year just gone, but that was all updates. Wow. Yeah, and then we have Lumberjack. We got Lumberjack finally out to market in May, so that was this year. That was a big deal. It was a big deal for us anyway, and we now have expanded that ecosystem a lot since then, with an app for logging already shot footage within that ecosystem and an, and an iPad app. Oh, so, so you don't have to just have it when you're shooting now. You can actually add to it afterwards. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, it was remarkably easy to do. I had this complicated method of, you know, triggering stuff off to the database, blah, 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 and Greg said, no, we'll just add a, a bit of custom metadata to the file and, uh, and look for that in the other app. Huh. Oh, 
Okay. <laughs> That's why he's the programmer. That's why he's the programmer. <laughs> I'm just the agitator. <laughs> and uh, and an iPad app, so that we're still working on to make it very robust when you're away from the internet. It has to be able to survive. Oh, right. I, I realize on my way to Australia that it has to be able to survive being quit by the OS and still return to where you were without having to require a new login because I realized okay. that we had a fatal design flaw. And Oops. <laughs> Oops. So that's fixed now? It's fixed in my in my beta builds, but it's okay. not, not the release version. Should be should be fixed shortly. We just want to test it to make sure it is as robust as we want it to be. How's, uh, do you have any uh, test cases that are using it now? We have some. I'm, tracking, I'm trying to track down ones because somebody in my uh, recent movie, old webinar chat, said that they had used it on a children's show and been very happy with it. Oh, cool. So it was news to me, so I'm tracking him down now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be good to know, yeah. Yeah, so I'd like to know what, what we're doing as a success. We just did a uh, Final Cut 10 job, FCPX, I should say, job that uh, we had to get the audio out to Pro Tools. And, you know, you've got two options. You can buy the very expensive Pro Tools only mm-hmm. um, export plug-in, or you can buy your less expensive 10 to 7, and you can go out of ten, uh, yeah. 7. Uh, you know, it's built in, the support for going to Pro Tools. So we bought that, and then we found some interesting issues. And, and uh, Sean yeah, talked to Greg, and Greg's like, okay, well, okay, there you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, apparently there's a bit of backwards and forwards, and the first yeah. the first fix wasn't as complete. And Yeah, it's nice to be able to do that, to be a small company where we don't have um, engineering resources planned out for the mm-hmm. next three or four months. Uh, and Greg will tend to bunch together a, a bunch of work say for on you know on 10 to 7 or a bunch of work on 7 to 10 that uh, makes sense because you get your head in a certain yeah. place and yeah 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 so and that's what led to 70 releases last year over over five essentially five apps and a couple of our older apps uh, sequence clip reporter got an update as well um, cool so that it could do thumbnail something that we've been wanting to do right from the start in fact the code was all there but we found that the version of ole that we were using to build an Excel spreadsheet had a bug. Oh, <laughs> not our bug, but and somewhere in the meantime that got fixed, and we never went. And it was years before we realized it was fixed. And so we added to both our reporting tools. We added um, thumbnails. So does that runs in Final Cut Ten now? Well, the producer's best friend is the is the product for Final Cut Ten. Sequence okay. Clip Reporter is for Final Cut Seven XML. So predominantly these days for Premiere Pro users. Oh, okay. So it runs in Premiere Pro yeah. also. All right. Yeah, Premiere Pro works with uh, a variation on Final Cut 7 XML. They say it's Final Cut 7 XML. It's a variation on Final Cut 7 <laughs> XML from our perspective. Mm-hmm. They're starting to put custom metadata in there for Adobe's own purposes, and that, that's fine. You know, We have sufficient notice and, um, and customers who are patient enough to help us deal with that. And most of the updates in the last year, two years, for those apps have been really to better support Adobe's Creative Cloud apps rather than better Final Cut 7 support because, you know, Final Cut Pro 7 isn't going anywhere, isn't coming back, it isn't being developed, there's no new right. versions to right. deal with. Yeah. So yeah, you don't have to worry about updates. Yeah. <laughs> and so rewrote Producer's Best Friend to use AV Foundation at a QuickTime as well. Okay. That was Greg's first venture into AV Foundation. And? And it works very much the same way as QT Kit did. It's not. It doesn't have as many as many high level features yet. Okay. I mean, the the base is all there. So as a developer, you end up doing a little bit more work to get to the same place as you could do in in QT Kit, which was more aggregating of common steps together into higher level steps. So, for example, you can insert a player instead of having to create a space and put a playhead in it. So you can instantiate in AV Kit, which is the equivalent of QT Kit, but still not feature rich. You can just say embed a player into your app and say, I want it to have this type of controller as a, oh, as okay. a setting. So rather than having to write all the code to do a player. And that's, that all just reaches down and, and uses the code that you would have to write yourself. Right. 
And so we get, over time, more and more of these higher-level commands that, that reduce the amount of work that a programmer's got to do as long as you're doing common sorts of things. Okay, so it's easier than writing with Qt Kit then? Uh, well, those sort of th- where where the the, the high level stuff is equivalent, mm-hmm. it's about the same. So, getting a player in Qt Kit was about the same amount of work. Oh, okay, but there are were, there were other things that the Gregors need, needed to do um, that were harder to do in AV Foundation as it is right now. Oh, okay. And probably in two years' time, we'll have those high level commands that would have made the work he's done right now a whole lot easier in two years' time. But you've got to have it done now. It always works that way, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's. Uh, um... Just reminds me of the the HPA Tech Retreat. I think it was two years ago when the theme for it was um, Snowflake workflows, where you know every every workflow is different, and as soon as you get it worked out, it hits the ground and melts and changes. You know? Yeah, so it's the same kind of thing. It's like no matter what you do to try to work, you get a nice workflow going, and boof, something gets changed. Or you write the code, poof, something gets changed. Yeah, yeah, and I think we've just got to learn to to deal with change as being one of the constants that that we've had to deal with our entire career. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way the industry's changed since, well, the industry that you first worked in, the industry that I first worked in, oh. is a different type of industry, <laughs> <laughs> different instantiation, theoretically the same industry, mm-hmm. have changed dramatically. It may be a different show, but I look back 30 years and think, I've probably got 30 more years of pr- productive years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So back 30 years, forward 30 years, how much more change am I going to have to oh, deal God. with? And, well, and it's so much faster now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think this is one of the ways of staying young mentally is to recognize that you are going to have to constantly learn new stuff. Yes, yeah. And if you've been in a position where you can have been able to be complacently not learning new stuff, mm-hmm. uh, then things will change at some point where you're suddenly screwed because there'll be too much of a shift to jump. You can jump across a small chasm relatively right. easy. The wider that chasm gets, there will be a point when you go down screaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's happening to a lot of people who've been unemployed for you know over a year. It's like really hard to get back up to speed on any kind of a job because it's just so far out of the marketplace at that point. You don't think about it, but a lot happens in a year. A lot changes in how people work and et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be constant. It's going to be continual. There will be no letting up. There'll be new codecs. So, you know, this will be the year. I think we see a lot of implementation of H.265, the higher efficiency video codec that has been around for about eighteen months. But has, but you got to have players on the end that play it. So. And this is the year I think we'll see high efficiency video H E V C H.265 coming into players, and therefore we'll start to see demand for encoding tools. There are some encoding tools now, and there are some players, but there are not mainstream players like you know. Um, QuickTime Player and Windows Media Player, right. they do not yet support um, H.265, although Windows Media Player may be being wrong because I'm not sure that the latest release or the upcoming release isn't planning to support H.265. So you'd have that. You also have your boxes, your, your cable boxes, uh, you know, um, play, yeah, Blu-ray yeah, players, yeah. smart TVs, all of those things oh, aren't yeah, going to be... It's not going to be a, ch- a sudden transition from, yeah. from H.264 to H.265. What it's going to mean is for a period of time, we're going to be stuck doing both, both encodes. Yes. <laughs> yep. It's not, it's not going to make life easier. It's just going to make life <laughs> yeah. more complicated. Oh, because, joy. Because <laughs> now you'll have to do an, H, an H.264 encode for those players that support that, and after an H.265 higher efficiency video for the players that can do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was trying to explain to a client just this week, as a matter of fact, how, you know, why they had issues. They were getting interlacing issues going between frame rates in HD and all that. And I said, you know, we had this chance to do yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Going to HD, we had a chance to start all over and say, all right, it's all progressive. You've got 
24 frame, 30 frame, 60 frame. Boom, that's it. Done, right? Instead of 2997, 5904, 60, da, da, da. Uh, And I said, all of this still stems back to we couldn't just throw away black and white TVs and have color. Yeah. And I had to lay it on top of color, like color on top of black and white. And to this day, we still have all these variations because nobody ever want, wants to make the commitment of let's just start over. And here we go again. Yeah. That's what you're talking about right now. So even in the codec universe, we're yep, doing the yep. same thing. Yep, there always seems to be two encodes required, whether it was H.264 and MPEG Simple Profile or an H.264 and Windows Media Encode uh, or an H.264 and Real Video at some point. You had to do maybe not H.264 and Real Video. I think maybe Real Video was deprecated long before that. But there isn't really any loss of old codecs. People still ask about encoding to AVI. Oh, yeah, we get those. We yeah. get there because there's certain companies that that's still their deliverable spec. Yeah, container format that was officially deprecated in 1996, <laughs> Nin- nearly 19 years ago. That's been no development apart from some proprietary third-party stuff on a container that's 13 years old yeah. or 13 years since it was stopped being developed. How much fun is that? Yeah. So so now we have all those running parallel too, and it's yeah. a real pain in, in the... Uh, Um, because you know you you if you're on a mac it's a real pain yeah there's just no easy way to deal with that i mean you know we have the bi-platform universe here so it's not a big deal it's like all right we'll go over to you know to one of the pcs and you can make you can make the avi without a problem but if you're just in a mac universe what do you you know how do you (laughs) yeah yeah or or vice versa if you need to make prores since apple won't license it out on the uh, on the PC side, on the Windows side. Well, they, they do have a couple of Windows licensees. They have one company that claims they have the licensee, which is that, I think, Cinedec, but it's very expensive. And Telestream will do encodes to ProRes on Windows. But are they using the Apple codec, or are they doing their own thing? Well, since nobody's licensed the... The, it would have to have been reverse engineered completely, which is pretty tricky for right. coding. See, and that Cinedec is the one, they're the only ones I know of that actually have, they got the license from Apple, which is why they can do an insert edit into a QuickTime movie, even with a ProRes uh, mm. file. Come to the Editor's Lounge this month, you'll see that. So what else happened this year? One of the things that had obviously become a trend is, and following Adobe's lead, is that subscription models are here to uh, stay. Yeah. Avid have obviously provided that as an option. Yeah, you were forced well, over by the end of the year this year. Yeah, I mean, there's a pseudo for subscription model there, in, and it almost does the same job as, as a subscription in the terms of the benefit that Avid get freeing themselves from Sarbanes-Oxley. Yes. If, you, if you've got a revenue stream even from a permanent license, so that, that rental or the, the uh, support contract or whatever you want to call that, that, mm-hmm. um, if, that updates to your permanent license, that's ongoing revenue that they can, they can say, well, we can announce features that are upcoming because we have ongoing revenue. Right, from yeah. each customer, so we're benefiting that way. Adobe, of course, have been um, all subscription for, well, coming up to two years. Apparently it hasn't hurt them. So They've gone from strength to strength. I mean, I believe that there are over 3 million subscribers now. Wow. Of course, that's, that's across the entire suite. That's across the entire suite, yeah. You know, I don't know. I, who knows? But I would guess there's probably more people using Photoshop than, than Premiere. You know. I would not argue with that. Adobe is largely a photographer photography and document handling company right the dynamic media division which is where we play is certainly part of that but it's also web development um i'm sensing that there's not a big growth in the after effects market simply because they're trying to find they are integrating some after effects features into premiere pro and there are some ways of adding value to the 
the artist's ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, After Effects is kind of their weakest area now. I mean, it's, even though it's it's a very strong app, it's so old. The code is so old. It, it's so cumbersome. I mean, all I, I get to listen to my After Effects artists complain all day about You have to build a RAM preview to see something that you're working on where I can do that in real time on, you know, a Symphony or a Final Cut or, you know, it doesn't matter. Everything, every other piece of software can handle this stuff in real time. I don't believe any announcements been made, but a little while back there was a, an Adobe blog post where the then product manager for After Effects asked the greater crowd, if we spent a year with no major new features in After Effects but increased the performance dramatically, yeah, would, that be, would that be a direction that you'd all like us to take? I'm paraphrasing, of course. The response was overwhelmingly yeah. positive as to say yeah. yes. Give us more power, yeah. And I suspect that's probably what's happening now as we go through. Um, one of the big advantages that company has and that product has is that the development team is relatively stable um, 20 years down the part, down the track. So the same people who wrote the original code, know they know where the, the skeletons are, they know where the squeaky floorboards are, they know where the, the important trunk connections are in the code to places where they can hook in and, out, and hook out new code in and out, stuff like that. Always good to have somebody who helped write the thing, help update it. <laughs> yes, yes. Have the same architect on the renovation was there on the original construction would be in the same drawings and everything would be very helpful. So I'm, I'm hopeful that After Effects will see that um, performance boost in in a next major release whenever that happens. I also think that we've seen, as well as uh, Autodesk go to a subscription-only model this year, I think we've seen that the subscription model does tend to work for people. At least so far, Adobe have been regular with, with updates. We've seen fairly re- regular updates from, from Avid. Yeah, Avid's, uh, you know, they're they're cranking out, you know, I mean, it, it, there's not a specific release time anymore. It's just stuff, you know, yeah. the updates keep popping out, you know, a little point one, point one one, you know, point two, et cetera. 8.3, which gave us 4K. Here it is. It's available now. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. no big, they weren't, didn't have to wait for NAB or a specific date, you know, as soon as they were ready, they said, all right, it's going out. So I think we'll see more and more of that from this point forward. I know there's a, there's a 8 point, I think it's 8.3 point one or point two or something coming out now that already and we haven't had a feature update for final cut pro 10 other than the the mxf support which is you know huge in the markets that that is a feature update yeah but it was not it was not something that was built in the core app oh i see what you're saying there's always it's always interesting when an app gets updates that are either somewhat peripheral to them Mm -hmm. um like colored markers in final cut 7 for example Mm -hmm. important to some people but not a core part of the app yeah um or the, or the, the long gap we saw when they, they restructured from events and projects into libraries. So generally, if there's a long gap like that, without very much feature updates like happened with, we're talking about with After Effects, um, it probably means that there's some sort of architectural change going on that, that can't easily be fitted in. So you've got to sort of stop, do a certain amount of work before you can move forward. Who knows? I mean, I'm sure we'll see a feature release sometime coming soon, but we haven't had one real feature release other than the MXF in since December 2013. Wow. I didn't realize it had been that long. Now, important in our world was 10.1.2 because that was a right. major restructuring of the XML to reformat around libraries, and we were thankful that they didn't make us do that jump in one in one big jump, that we could adjust to Final Cut Pro 10.1 and, and the XML changes but still stick to events and project. But then in the 10.1.2 release, I'm pretty sure that's when we got the full library XML. So that was a major reworking of all of our apps to support libraries. In fact, I think Greg just added uh, library support to Producer's Best Friend wow. just recently, which led to another another bug report, <laughs> <laughs> discovery of another bug in, in that same Excel spreadsheet builder. Mm-hmm. Um, software is that... It's uh, when you have a big library, you have a big spreadsheet and numbers won't open big spreadsheets in the old XLS format. And we think number support is pretty important. So, well, it was more I mean, it was just the XLSS 
the uh, modern XML-based format. It works just fine. It's a smaller file and it works fine. But it, had, it, it wasn't until we did one thing that supported the library the and, then some, and finally had a, somebody who's actually testing it with their library of material mm-hmm. that we come across this ne- next potential problem because we never could have got to the point with that bigger spreadsheet. I guess it's tough when you, if you don't have a huge beta testing base or whatever. You never know what's going to happen on something like that until you release it. And our experience with beta testers has been that people's intentions are good. Yeah. <laughs> and I volunteered for various betas of stuff where I feel my intentions were good, but I really didn't add value yeah, for the yeah. developer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sorry to every developer that I've ever done that to. <laughs> Being on the other side of that particular equation uh, is not as much fun. Yeah. I tend to just, when I'm in the betas, I mean, I'm just using the application anyways. So, yeah, it, you know, it does, if I hit a bug. But if whatever my particular workflow doesn't hit any bugs, you know. Yeah, but you don't go and demonstrate anything. No, that's true. It's it's tricky when it's like, oh, okay, I really can't go and do that that user group in Boston or something with the version of whatever is on my machine right Whoa. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, all right, delete that back into Time Machine. Bring me back a version <laughs> that I can show in public. <laughs> wow. That uh, gets tricky. What else this year? Oh, you know, one other thing is uh, Blackmagic had their film scanner that came out. Oh, this is the film scanner, which, of course, is a fairly niche product, so I don't tend to hear anything about it. Yeah, I, I don't even know if they're shipping it yet. I don't know if it actually got out the door or not, but, you know, it was $30,000 4K film scanner because they bought Rank um, yeah. Sintel. And so it's interesting because, that you know, in the last week we just had an announcement that the studios are – signed a deal with Kodak to guarantee they're going to buy a certain amount of film every year. Of course, it's kind of a joke because if you're not doing release prints, you're not generating enough yeah. To, yeah. to make it work. But it's interesting. So now the studios are on the hook to buy the film, whether they use it or not. I don't know where they're going to develop it. I mean, Photochem, I guess, is it. Yeah. They better hope Photochem doesn't shut the lab down and that's it. Well, yeah, it was really the year that we saw film fade out, if not yeah. die. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, you know, I never thought I'd see that day, but here it is. It's gone. The film printer shutter is getting tighter and tighter closed. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fade to black. Mm-hmm. A year of consolidation, not really a year of wildly exciting transitions. Yeah, I would say that. I agree. I concur. And 2015 coming up, well, we'll have to wait and see what comes up with that. Yeah. In the meantime, I'm Philip Hodgetts. And I'm Terence Current. And do something creative.